Today's first scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1094. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the, whole, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's second scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to, verse, to chapter 2, verse 11, and can be found in the Pew Bibles on pages 1178 to 1179. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a matter worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, when I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as of Jesus Christ, who, being in their very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own, own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everyone. We are going to pick up today right from where we left off last week. Today will be our second part of a six-week series in the book of Philippians. I'll firstly give a quick review of what we talked about last week. Paul is writing this letter from prison to the church in Philippi that he founded. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 26, we see that God has completely changed Paul's worldview. We use the metaphor of glasses or lenses, that God has changed out Paul's lenses, and he now sees the world through the lens of Christ. Paul tells us that the loving action is always the best action. And he tells us that success is glorifying and loving God with our lives, no matter how shameful we might look to the outside world. He takes this to its ultimate conclusion in the truth that for us as Christians, to live is Christ and to die is actually to gain. To die in the end is eternity with, with our God, that we get to be with him for eternity. Let's pray quickly before we dive into the passage. Lord, this morning, please speak to us through your words. Yeah, please show us what you mean by each and every one of these sentences. And help us to, as we leave, to live out what you have told us, God. To live out what you've told us and to love you more with our lives, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Today, our passage is going to talk a lot about the community of God. Paul is going to encourage the Philippian church to have unity, to be like-minded, and to strive and work together. So firstly, we'll cover this. We'll talk about this and what that practically looks like. Following this, Paul is going to share a poem or a hymn about the love and grace of Jesus Christ and how that only through Christ's power and his example are we able to have right community with each other. And so in the second piece of today, we'll, we'll focus on that. Let's get started. We will begin with reading chapter 1, verse 27 again. Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Paul starts us off today with an extremely high order. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's easy, right? Just kidding. Put simply, I think Paul is instructing the Philippians to love God with all their heart and then to love their neighbor as best as they can. Doing that, when we come down to it, would be striving to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But there's a little bit more going on here in this sentence. The word used here in this phrase actually denotes citizenship. And Paul will play off this idea of citizenship to get his point across. So the verse, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, could also be translated as something like, conduct yourselves as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Later in chapter 3, Paul will again talk about citizenship, bring up this topic again, and will remind the Philippians that their citizenship is in heaven, 
that their citizenship is in heaven and their identity is in Christ, not primarily here on earth. As we talked a bit about last week, Philippi was an important city. It had Roman citizens, probably around 15% of the population, and it also had a large population of retired Roman soldiers. Roman citizenship at this time was seen as a huge privilege and point of pride. So those in the church at Philippi who had Roman citizenship probably prided themselves on it. It was a huge marker of status. They were the elites in society. Those in the church who did not have Roman citizenship, or who are part of the lower classes, such as slaves or freed slaves, which was the majority of the population, they probably felt inferior to those with citizenship. They lacked many rights and were looked down upon and actually prejudiced against in society by those with Roman citizenship. And so in bringing in this concept of citizenship, citizenship in heaven, Paul is in a sense leveling the playing field for the church here. The Roman morals and standards valued pride and power, and the temptation would have been to totally integrate this into the church, to syncretize the church with Roman values and religion. To have the Roman citizens in the church really rule over the rest of those in the church would have been the temptation for them. But while, what Paul says here really flips that script over. Paul is giving everyone in the church the exact same status, calling them all to act as citizens of heaven. Paul is really calling them to something more, calling them to become a community that transcends cultural boundaries and borders. Their earthly citizenship and status didn't matter anymore. Actually, don't act as, as if you're citizens of Rome. Don't treat some of your church members better than others. Act as citizens of heaven. Now, Paul is going to take this concept even a bit further in, in another book in, in Galatians chapter 3. And he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our earthly status is irrelevant in the kingdom of God and in the church. We are all one in Christ. We are equal as citizens of heaven. And our church and our church life should reflect that reality. This is a bit of a tangent, but I think as an application, the text kind of takes us here. When I was thinking about this concept that I believe Paul is presenting to us, I started to think about IPC. I started to ask myself if we do a good job of this at IPC. Do we value each person the same? Do we give certain people in our church special status? Do we give the privileged or the successful in our society special power and attention in our church? I think this is a question that we need to grapple with as, as a church. And it really made me think of a, of a quick scenario. Let's pretend that two people came into our church this morning at IPC. One of them was successful by our world standards or by our Swiss standards. So they come in, right? They seem like they're decently wealthy. They have an important job and position that they share with us. They, they're dressed formally. They smell nice. They've got nice teeth, right? Uh, they look nice. They have a crisp English accent like on the BBC. 
this person by our Swiss standards might seem like a winner, right? And then the other person who walks in is Jesus. During his three years of ministry, he walks right into IPC, but we don't know it's him, right? Because we don't, we don't know what Jesus looked like, necessarily. During those years, Jesus was semi-homeless with the disciples, going from house to house, place to place. He probably was not always the cleanest, definitely did not always smell the best. His clothes aren't nice or fancy at all. Jesus had a Galilean accent, which people in the wider culture made fun of and looked down upon. So when we heard him talk, we might have had some negative stereotypes to, to what he was saying. And he also tells us he used to be a carpenter several years ago. So I want to ask the question, if this other person, this quote-unquote successful person, and Jesus walked into IPC on the same Sunday, would we treat them the same? Would we give both of them equal attention? Would we take the things that they tell us with the same amount of seriousness? And really, would we value them equally as citizens of heaven? Honestly, reflecting on myself, I know in my life I have let my prejudices and my judgment get in the way before. I know in my life I've done this, and I've given one believer favor over another just because of what they look like or what they sound like. And I need to repent of this. And so I encourage all of you, Take time today to reflect on that and how you do that in your own life and on whether IPC does that or not. I think we all, can, we all can learn from this passage as a church. So anyways, coming back one more time, we'll continue with the passage. As it says, we are acting as citizens of heaven, acting in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then we will be living as verses 27 and 28 talk about. Then we will, as the verse says, stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. In chapter 2, verse 2, just a few verses on from here, Paul, in a similar fashion, will encourage the Philippians to be like-minded, have the same love, and to be one in spirit and of one mind. All of these phrases and sentences are invoking the image of what a Christian community should look like. Standing firm in Christ, striving and working together, which would mean getting along, supporting each other, praying for one another, loving God together by serving others and worshiping communally. And so if if we are acting as citizens of Christ, we will be striving to be this kind of community. Reading this, it's hard not to be reminded of the Christian community that's given to us in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Actually, this passage is very important for our church. As we recently talked about in our membership classes, our church, IPC, our statement of what we believe states that our example at IPC is the early church described in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. I'll read this passage again now. They, the very early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is an excellent picture of what Paul means by striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It's a crystal clear picture of what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, about the church being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. This is our example in the Bible of what a community of Christ should look like, and so it's vital for us to constantly be reminded of it. The early church devoted themselves to God's teaching, devoted themselves to fellowship, to community, devoted themselves to sharing communion, eating together, praying together. And they also supported one another financially and physically, even when it meant giving up some of one's own possessions. Lastly, this community, for lack of better words, was also infectious. It says they enjoyed the favor of other people around them. Other people saw the way that they lived and saw Jesus, and and they were jealous. They wanted in to the community. Through this community, God brought more people to himself. The church in Philippi was definitely not doing a perfect job of this. In chapter 4, Paul will call out two of the women in the church by name, Euodia and Syntyche, pleading for them to get along with each other. Imagine that. This letter was most likely read in front of the entire church at once. So it would be as if Dennis got up here and pronounced, Nathan and Joshua, stop arguing about silly things. Humble yourselves. Get along with each other. That would be intense. That's really bold. But I think that highlights the importance of being united in community under Christ. Paul was willing to publicly call people out who had refused to repent if it meant that they would have a chance to be restored in the church. The early church was imperfect at being a loving community, as are we at IPC. It was hard for the early church, and it's hard for us right now. But that doesn't mean it's not important. Difficulty is not an excuse for us. It's clearly very important in Scripture, and it needs to be very important for us today at IPC. For the sake of time, we are going to just run quickly through verses 28 through 30. The general gist that Paul gives is that if we are acting as citizens of heaven, we won't be afraid of those who oppose us. Holding fast to God is a sign of those persecuting you that they will be destroyed. And it is a sign for you that you will be saved. Persecution is something you may experience as a Christian, but don't be disheartened. Now we'll move on to our next verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and I'll read that quickly. Therefore, if any of you, if you, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
These verses echo chapter 1, verse 27, in many ways, as we talked about earlier. Encouragement from Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion are all things that God gives us. They are all things that we should have in our lives if we're living as citizens of Christ. And so if we have these things, encouragement, comfort, common sharing in the spirit, then we should be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and mind. We should not act selfishly, but should value each other above ourselves. We should not look at our worldly circumstances and pride and treat each other accordingly. We are held to the standard of being citizens of heaven, where we're all equals, where we should serve one another, valuing each other above ourselves. I'm now going to share a short testimony of a way I saw this loving community of Christ be lived out by some of our IPC church members. I'm not sharing this to put special attention or focus on them. I'm just sharing it because it was such a tangible and beautiful example of this kind of community. We need to share and have joy in the ways we see God working in IPC, in in our local community. This last week, uh, a friend of Christina Gauchi, she's one of our church members if you don't know her, but one of Christina's friends had passed away. This man had immigrated here and had no family in Switzerland. He didn't have many friendships left at this point in his life. Um, He had lost many of them. But Christina had kept up her friendship with him and talked with him right up to the day of his death. And in being a loving and kind friend, realizing that there was no one else to do it, she planned his funeral for him. And so on the day of the funeral, only one person was there who knew this man well. And that was Christina. Nobody else he knew showed up. No family and no friends. But there was about 15 other people there at that funeral. Christina's dad and and sister and her friend came. And then about 10 other IPC members came as well. People from Christina's home group and from the church. These church members had come out as a community to support Christina and to give honor and care to a man who they had never met or really even heard of before. They took time off of work during the work week, to come and love their sister in Christ, and to be there for a man who had no one else to be there for him. This loving community came together and displayed Christ's love so brightly at this funeral. As I was reading the psalm at the grave, I had to keep holding back tears. This group was such a beautiful image of Christ's love, and this is the kind of community that we should be striving to be at IPC. This kind of caring for one another, like-mindedness, and oneness in Christ is what we should be seeking. This is the kind of loving community that's infectious to others, right? Like the church in Acts 2, that non-Christians see and and they want to join in on it. They're jealous. They want in. Let's continue to endeavor to be a loving community devoted to Christ. Now back to the verses, we'll move uh, up to our last set, and that's chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. These verses, which are a beautiful poem or hymn, follow directly from the rest of the passage. At the start of it, in verse 5, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, before going on to really just share the gospel. For us to be able to conduct ourselves as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ, for us to strive together as a church in community, the only way is Jesus. Everything that Paul has said so far comes down to this. Everything he said is based solely on this one point. The only way for us to live well in community is for Jesus to transform our hearts and our minds and for us to seek to have that same mindset as Christ. Jesus is the ultimate example for our lives. So then, what is the mindset of Christ? Let's read verses 6 through 7 again. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I think we can often forget the radicalness of the good news of Jesus Christ, right? We hear it so often, we forget what it really means. I want to talk a little bit about, more about the Roman context of Philippi again and then frame these verses in that. Like we talked about a bit last week, at this point in the Roman Empire, there was something called the imperial cult. This meant that there was worship of certain Roman emperors. So Julius Caesar allowed himself to be worshipped. The emperor Caligula forced people to worship him. Emperor Domitian went by the title Lord and God. And Nero, who was emperor at this time, claimed to be equal to the god Apollo. So he said, he would, he said that he was the bodily form, the human form of the god Apollo. In the Roman context, this is what people knew and what a lot of them saw as good. These are the gods they saw to be worshipped. And really, as we'll see, these men acted in the literal opposite way of Jesus Christ. Emperor Nero, on the one hand, was in nature just a man, but he claimed to be God. He elevated himself to the point of a God for his own glory and for his own praise. He deified himself for his power and gain. Jesus, our God, the only God, did the opposite. Jesus, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something for him to exploit, but he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, becoming a human. Jesus humbled himself and came down to be with us, to experience what we have experienced and to love us. Our God and his love is radical, and I think the Philippians would have seen this comparison immediately. The Christian God, Jesus, is the opposite of the Caesars, of the other gods that people worshipped at the time. 
And Jesus didn't just come down and become a human. But as verse 8 says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the story of the love of our God for us. Every one of us humans was dead in our sins. Every one of us had chosen to reject God, live for ourselves, and because of that, we were separated from him. God's wrath was on us, and we were separated from his goodness and his perfection. Every one of us was on that cross, on that Roman execution device, waiting for our deserved death. But in God's overwhelming love for us, Jesus, the Son of God, came down to us. He became a human, born as a baby, being fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life, showing us how to live, and he died on that cross, on that execution device for us. He saw us sitting there on that cross, deserving of death, and he came up, took us off, and took our place up there. In Jesus' death, he took our sins upon himself, He was the perfect sacrifice, paying the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And Jesus rose again in power, defeating death and evil forever. And now he offers that forgiveness and relationship with him to anyone willing to accept his love. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we never graduate from the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of this every single day, that our God Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for our sins. This is who our God is, and it's why we are so excited to worship our God for eternity as believers. He's so good. And again, only through worshiping Jesus with our lives is a thriving Christian community that Paul talks about possible. Only through imitating Jesus and striving to have this mindset Only through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives will IPC be a community of unity and love under Christ. The gospel is so good. And it's so good because it's the story of our loving and perfect God. I want to end now with just reflecting on the glory of our God and on the glory of Jesus by just reading these last verses here. Verses 9 through 11 say, Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Please pierce our hearts with your words today. Please let us seek you with our lives and seek to imitate you, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, please transform our hearts and our minds to be more like you. And let us seek to be a loving community that lives in unity and works to to love each other well, God. In your name, Jesus, amen.